You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, welcome to Utopia Terrier. Stephen Chicken here, joined down the line by David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Uh, I'm good. New season, new start. We're here. New thinking, new drinking. Huddersfield Town <laughs> have had two games. Well, in fact, they've had three games since we last podcasted. So um, we should probably address that just at the top of the show. Um, some of you may know I've been sort of at the MEN recently um, and it's made scheduling things a little bit difficult at times. Hence, we, we weren't able to get a podcast out last week. So apologies for that. But uh, I will be back on town full time in the next couple of weeks. So we shouldn't have, hopefully, any further issues and we should have a regular podcast for you, you know, as you've come to expect. We've got two games to talk about here. We'll leave Derby in the past, but uh, we'll we'll start with Fulham, Dave. 5-1 5-1 to 10 men at home. That was an absolute rotter of a performance, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty awful. And I don't think there's any caveat you can make for it. I think they set up wrong from the start. I think they they never reacted properly from the bench as to what was happening. I think they overcomplicated things. And I think they paid the price, to be honest with you. And I think it's important to say that I, you don't just drop the players that had been ill into that team and suddenly it's 5-1 to Huddersfield Town. I don't think Toffolo, Pippa, etc. would have made any difference to that game. It was all about the fact that I think they just got things wrong, if I'm brutally honest. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Like, when you run through the lineup as I did in the five conclusions, you know, you can say, well, they were missing O'Brien, they were missing Pippa, they were missing Toffolo. But when you run through the players one by one, you know, Schofield is meant to be one of two number ones. Turton was brought in knowing that Pippa might not be fit for the start of the season and was brought in as cover. You know, Pearson, summer signing. Saar was a, a, you know, a core brand Bromby signing last summer. Colwell at left back, I thought, was probably town's best player on the day. Uh, him and Scott High. Scott High wasn't preferred in the starting lineup. Vallejo was picked instead. Hogs the captain. You know, you, you can keep going with that. I know I won't because I already have in the conclusions, but every player on that pitch has been, you know, is there for a reason and is is there to play, even if it is just as cover for these kinds of injuries, these kinds of illness, COVID and so on. I think we said a lot, Dave, coming into this season that maybe the signings they've made so far, town ceiling hadn't particularly moved, um, but that their floor should be a lot higher. And I think that game told us that, and I know Fulham are an excellent team, but I think that performance told us that actually maybe that floor hasn't moved as much as it should have done. Hopefully it's a one-off, but it was still really, really worrying to see that kind of performance. It was, it was. And I think like I think we better talk about Fulham just for a moment and say that, you know, if anybody who finishes above Fulham in that league is likely being promoted. You looked at their bench 
and you would say Rodak probably would get in Towns team in goal. Joe Bryan, Alfie Mawson, uh, Nelson Cabano, uh, Francois and Cavallero would definitely get in the first 11, not just the squad. So Town were playing a better team and sometimes you do play a better team and, and you lose. But they got absolutely overrun in key areas and there wasn't a, a good enough reaction. They were, you know, they played as the home team and I think they had about less than 45% possession. They spent over... I think it was nearly 20 minutes playing against 10 men and arguably got worse um, and conceded two poor goals. You just there, there are caveats you can make around Fulham. And yes, it is a new season and I will keep saying caveat. Um, but yeah, it, it just wasn't good. And it's early on. <laughs> Maybe it's good to get that performance out the way and have a sort of lowest bar so you can move on from that. But it was it was grim watching. It was grim watching. And I think what made it sort of even worse was the build-up and town fans being back in the stadium for the first time and all the welcome home stuff and all that sort of thing. Giving it the big and about leads as a result before kickoff as well. Yeah, that as well. And what was... What was the most worrying aspect for me was they got the goal disallowed, and I think it was about the fourth minute, something like that. And they—I know it sounds ridiculous to say it, but they'd done all right until that point, <laughs> and then yeah. they just mentally—they just—they just collapsed. And I think we have to talk about the goals. Steve we do I mean the first one to talk about is the one that didn't stand uh, for town you know Matty Pearson scored what looked to be a legitimate goal that was uh, questionably ruled out for offside I haven't actually gone back and watched it again um, Mm, he is is offside he is okay there you go um, but either way, whether it's ruled out or not, you have to keep going because, as you say, Town had actually started the game pretty well. Um, but you know, within ninety seconds or so, Fulham were were one nil up and, and never looked back from there. Town just sort of completely collapsed, and that first goal in particular, when. Everyone who listens to this podcast will know I've stuck up for Ryan Schofield a lot. And I even, after the Derby game, I wrote quite a passionate defence of, of Ryan Schofield for the conclusions that I decided to cut out in the end because I thought, do you know what? I'm telling the fans <laughs> to pipe down with their opinions here because I thought he had quite a good game against Derby and there were people who were slating him. And I thought, well, it's one thing to slate him when he's had a bad game, but it's quite another to slate him when he's actually had, in my view, quite a good game. He stopped a couple of what looked like certain goals for Derby by coming off his line well, um, not for crosses, but with you know players who were coming into the box with ball at feet. But he was he he had a nightmare against Fulham. I mean, it's worth saying that that pass back from um, from Silver Thomas from the halfway line on the folly was an absolutely ridiculous decision um if he needed to get rid of it put it in the stands but i don't think he was in any particular danger it was just a strange choice but schofield could have just let it run and he should have just let it go out for the corner instead he he takes an awkward ball he this is a player who's not confident with his feet at the moment by the looks of things anyway and he tries to control a really awkward ball and just having controlled it just about again just needs to put it into the stands and instead kicks it straight at at Mitrovic and it bounces in it was you just when you sort of sat here on the record as I have and stuck up for Schofield because he's a great lad great professional we think he's got great potential but then you see him just not doing himself any favors like that it's just yeah it's so frustrating and it's it's not worse for anyone else than it is for him yeah I mean, what you do in that situation for me is you let the ball run out either way and then you give Sorber a piece of your mind and then you defend the corner properly. That's what should have happened. And even if you 
concede from the corner, you know, no one's blaming Schofield for that no. unless he's made a second error from the corner. But the thing is, in a weird way, it was the second goal that was even more worrying. And I said this to you at the time because it was... <sighs> the thing is, the first goal is just a really weird, bizarre choice. And I think if that happened 99 times out of 100, Schofield doesn't do what he did there. But the second one was worrying because that was a real... For me, that showed a real lack of confidence because he should have come out and just claimed that ball. Or he should have at least made it difficult. And what he did was stand on his line and effectively just tried to make himself big, which is is a goalkeeping technique, but... (laughs) If you're going to do that, you have to make the stop, don't you? Yeah, that's that's the thing. And it was the, the hesitation to come off his line, I think, probably sort of tells you where his, where his head is at. And I think the difference is this season, you can pull him out and put Lee Nichols in, which is what Town did against Preston. I mean, last season, he just had to, he was sort of played relentlessly through errors. And I think this season, it's a far healthier position to be able to do that. But... It was a tough game for it. I mean, he recovered. He made he made one good stop in the first half, but in his slight defence, and it is slight, it was like the Alamo at, <laughs> at times that mm-hmm. half. I mean, it was three one at half time, but Fulham themselves had had a very very tight offside decision ruled out, very very tight, as tight as Towns easily. Um, they'd missed an open goal, Harry Wilson, when that ball was cut back to him. It, it, <laughs> It was bordering on the the sort of farcical at times, and every time they came forward, you just felt Fulham were going to score, and that's that's mm-hmm. not just to do with Ryan Schofield, is it? No, exactly. I mean, we started the show by talking about him because obviously, you know, he did get, as you say, taken out the side, and I think that's probably best for him. Um, and you know, I don't want anyone to go away thinking we're sort of blind devotees if he's had a bad game and a bad run of games as he has done. You know, we're, we're happy to say so. But I think it's the right decision to take him out the side. But as you say, and Carlos Gorbran after the game as well made the same point. If you're focusing on the goalkeeper after that game, you're sort of missing the point. Because apart from, I thought Colwell had a particularly first half, had a decent game. um, And uh, and Scott High for a period after he came on at the break looked good as well. Other than that, everyone else had a poor game. Like every other player. It was, Mm. it was, it was almost unbelievable just how bad it was simple things just going wrong um no one doing their jobs properly it was it was a shambles yeah i mean fabio carvalho is a fantastic young player but he i mean jonathan hogg couldn't get anywhere near him could not get anywhere Mm. near him i mean he was just constantly in space and it was just a bit of a disaster because when wilson gets sent off for that that little kick out (laughs) You think, well, what do Town do here? Are they going to go and push and try to get something? And they did try and push a bit, but their version of pushing left them so exposed. Mm. You would have thought Fulham had the extra man. And the two goals they concede at that point, Cavalero is, uh, I mean, Huddersfield Town tried to sign him at one point, I think when he was at Wolves, and he was he was too much money at the time. He's a player who blows very, very hot and cold. Um, he's not a sort of top-line striker. But if you give him that, that first chance where it's a great ball, don't get me wrong, but he's got the run on the defender and he's one-on-one with literally just Schofield. come on. It was his first touch, yeah, wasn't it? literally just come on. He's going to score. And then the second goal, you know, he runs, he runs from a fair distance. You've still got two defenders there who are covering him. Pearson gets 
the wrong side effectively and you know it's a very simple just basically cut inside and then cut back outside and take the shot on it's it's just too simple that's the problem it's, it's it just a, too simple it was exactly the same as against blackburn last year you know you, you've got yeah you've got um you've got sar and and uh and pearson covering that side basically and and you know that's your back too you can't you can't press that high and i think that i understand when you're two nil down three one you know when you're two nil down with with a half still to play i can understand pushing forward trying to get an equalizer but when i i wonder if fulham getting reduced to 10 men made town bolder than they ought to have been and made mm. them think do you know what we can go for this we can try and get it back from 3-1 but once they went to 4-1 it really should have been damage limitation but i yeah. think that th- this is the thing i think the approach the right approach to that game from kickoff should have been damage limitation you know if you want to use fulham or a good team as an excuse then the flip side to that is well if they're so obviously a good team then why are you trying to play adventurous but... attacking football against them when you when you're missing key players say so, i think the thing is though steve as the conversation we had on saturday i think you need to name he who must not be named danny cowley who would not have approached that game in that way and probably still would have lost it but he wouldn't have lost it in that manner i don't think and that's that's the big issue because you get told off for making comparisons but my issue with that game was that I just think Town set up wrong from the off. The changes they made in game, I mean, I think we went through four different distinct formations at various points. None of them were effective and none of them did the key thing, which was shut down the huge gaps there were on mm. the pitch. You know, Carvalho was, was, Hogg was struggling one-on-one against Carvalho. So you have to change that situation. You either have to drop one someone back and double up on him or you have to try and force him to play wider. You can't just like keep giving him the ball 25 yards from goal with five yards around him so he can take the touch and pick a pass. You, you've got to try and do something. And it was just... What was disappointing for me on Saturday was that I don't think... I think it was wrong from the start, and then I think the changes they made that were, were wrong, and I don't think they had an effect in the game. I don't. I don't think ta- there was any point of that game where Town actually left a footprint in it. You know, no, um, maybe, maybe the first first sort of lips- eight minutes and first eight minutes of each half, maybe, but even then, I mean, yeah, I mean, you've got to put together. <laughs> at least 15 minutes haven't you in each half where you are in shape and you're doing what you need to do and like we can we can blame we can blame the players we should probably talk a little bit about Dwayne Holmes because he didn't have his best game and there was evidently some booing last night when he came on which I, I don't agree with. There have been um, there has been talk of an incident with him after the final whistle. Uh, yeah, which I can't I can't say. We don't you know. know. Neither of us we saw don't know. It. No, yeah. but, but but either way, that has got around. So I'm sure that will have played into the booze. Uh, yeah, but I think if you're looking at Dwayne Holmes, 67 minutes on on Saturday, I think you have to understand that he started as a 10, then he got shifted back into central midfield, then he got shifted out onto the right wing as part of a three, then he got moved back into central midfield but sitting deeper so Scott High could do the the O'Brien pushing high and trying to carry the ball thing then he got shifted back out to the right and then he got taken off and like there's there's really really good players who couldn't cope with that workload Steve (laughs) you know like proper 
established international players. And I just, I don't think he got any help on Saturday. But I thought what was evident last night when he came on, he did whatever reception he got, he did ignore that. And he, he really played with his heart on his sleeve when he came on. I don't think you can question his commitment. I think he just, <laughs> he just needs a run in one position, like he had in pre-season on mm. the right of a front three, when me and you and everyone else said, he looks really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he played at number 10 and Carlos, even after the game, the Fulham game, said they just couldn't get him into the game. And that wasn't really his, the implication being that wasn't really his fault. They just couldn't get mm. him on the ball. And, you know, we, we've, I, th- I think we've seen that in the Preston game as well. We've seen it in the Derby game as well. They they are really struggling to get players in that number 10 position on the ball. And for some reason that extended to when they actually had a number 10 on the pitch. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to stick up for him too much because I don't think he, I don't think he had a great game, same as everyone else. But yeah, it's, um, I don't know. You, you hope that that relationship can sort of mend itself and that, that those sort of scattered boos that, that came when he, when he was brought on at Preston, uh, against Preston, were just sort of a one-off and, and that's not going to be something that lingers and to be fair to him like fans gave him a, a, a terrible rating against Preston or a, or a pretty poor one but he made that run that forced the goal and you know he should have scored it himself I think his, his, his touch sort of eluded him in front of goal and you wonder what would have happened if the defender hadn't poked it in the net for him but you know he was the first player to get into that position and make an overlapping mm-hmm. run from midfield up the middle because they just kept going so far wide so he is trying to have an impact on the game and as you say he's playing with his heart on his sleeve I think um, but anyway there we go I mean we could almost go through the whole side on on that day I mean is there anyone else against Fulham that you particularly want to want to talk about I I just think just a system thing again and again Mm. please don't take this as a defense of Dwayne Holmes because it's not but Town have got an issue as you said with getting somebody in that 10 area because without Pippa ghosting him there or even Toff ghosting him there when you're playing Jonathan Hogg and Alex Vallejo in the first half they just sit so deep they've got very little interest in even trying to get there and then when you switch to a three and you have Vallejo, Hogg and Holmes Holmes can't get into that position your deeper line striker who would would have been Josh Caroma first half isn't there to be a 10 he's playing higher than that and it's it's going to be an issue going forward because we can't avoid the fact that Town need to score more goals and they need mm-hmm. to get goals from their strikers. And the way you do that is you've you A, you've got to feed them, and B, they need people close to them. You know, they they feed off knockdowns and touches and those short passes where they can get a shot off first time. And the the problem is a lot of t- what town are doing at the moment is strikers receiving the ball with their back to goal. And mm-hmm. that's that's something that if you get somebody into that position as number ten, you can change that very very quickly because then the strikers can can basically run off them and run into those spaces. So I think that's probably the the thing. I know there'll be people listening to this who are screaming that Danny Ward isn't good enough, or Jordan Rhodes isn't good enough, or Fraser Campbell isn't good enough. We don't know yet because they've not they've not been sort of fed, you know, to the, will, to the best we, of their ability. We will talk a bit about Danny Ward later when we get on to Preston though Um, as I say I I sort of I laid into him after after the game in the fire conclusions because I felt we had to and you know the the I think Corbran in particular had a made a made a mess of that game I think they had to play a safer way they had to be more pragmatic I think probably going behind to an early goal is the worst thing that can happen to this side at the moment because they have so little in attack that 
if they do go behind and they start chasing the game, they just, to be honest, they just don't have the quality. So they're going to keep giving it away and they're just going to keep conceding more and more goals because they're pushing further and further forward trying to trying to make something happen because they don't have the quality on the ball to do it. So they're trying to make up for that with numbers and then they just get mm. caught. But I mean, you know, just basics. This is the thing. Like the third goal I thought was, apart from the first one, maybe the worst of the lot because you had three or four players chasing the ball and leaving a man completely completely unmarked in the middle yeah. just ridiculous don't switch off from kickoff before you even get into that position on the pitch don't get yourself back into the game at 2-1 and then switch off to that degree from a kickoff that like again that's that's the basics isn't it and yeah it was just it was it was a difficult game to analyze because <laughs> Basically everything was wrong. <laughs> Shape, yeah. you know, personnel, the changes in game. It, it just really it couldn't. I mean, me, I we laugh about this, but me and you said before the game we were talking and we were worried about Fulham and what they've got and everything else. And me and you both said the one thing they need to do is not lose five one here. <laughs> Yeah, they need yeah. to, you know, even if they lose two nil, even if it's three nil, but they put a performance on, that's absolutely fine because Fulham are a good side. The one thing yeah. they couldn't do is just collapse, play awful, and lose five one, and they lost five <laughs> one. Yeah, I mean, and it's not the first time we've seen Town battered over the last sort of twelve months, um, or even just over the last sort of nine months. You know, they've had the five nil at Bournemouth, the seven nil at, at Norwich, the five two at Blackburn, and and now this one as well. And they just, I I just I w- worry whether it's it's as though Corbran doesn't realise that his players just aren't capable of doing what the players he had at Leeds were capable of doing and I think it's we, we criticised him for that last season as well because it took so long after they had that bad run at the start of the new year when that started it took him probably three games too long to realise okay we need to try something else we need to go safety first we need to, to, to change things here and just focus on being hard to beat rather than trying to win every game um, and I think that he... <laughs> He should have learnt by now that this side go particularly with you know you can say where they had absences but that's all the more reason to to look at a game like that and go okay let's just try not to get beaten here that's the only objective anything else we get is a bonus yeah I mean there's there's not an awful lot more that you can say really it was as I said if, if your team is set up wrong from the start and then the changes you make aren't effective you can't just place all the blame on the players you no. can't just say you know it's all the players fault it's it's clear it was it was wrong from the bench. Well, this but, is it. Well, th- that's the thing because Carlos after the game after the Preston game was saying, "Look, I understand why people are looking at the results from last season and bringing bringing mm-hmm. that forward. But for me, it's a new season, it's new players. We should almost say in without saying it, we should just be judged on this season. It's like, well, yeah. if you're judging you on this season, then please explain that result. Yeah, and it's it's dangerous as well because like I know they've come away from Preston with a win, and I spoke about this on the the extra time show with the club that it's easy to just forget everything other than the 14 minutes after town score that goal um if you look at the season it's a 1-1 draw away at derby it's a drubbing at home to fulham and then it's a very very narrow win against preston now i i'm not i'm not saying i don't think it's as bad as as some people do it would be fair to say looking at, at 
social media but at the same time when you get a win like that against Preston you've got to use that and get some momentum because Town have had absolutely no momentum this season they've not really carried anything in from pre-season because the the Wednesday game it was good to get the result um, but it was a nil-nil draw in 90 minutes Um, you know the Derby game Derby are going to finish bottom of this league (laughs) there's no no getting away from that fact I mean if they if they do somehow manage to survive then probably Wayne Rooney should be the next England manager Um, and then you know Fulham are a top side but you can't get pulled apart to that degree Fulham aren't going to beat every side in this division 5-1 away from home are they no you you can you can find ways to get a result but yeah I think we should probably move on to to the better side of things well this is why I sort of wanted to leave off with with that because to be fair Corbrand's approach against Freston was exactly what I thought it should be we we spoke before kickoff Dave about um, why you know you were saying you'd seen some fans saying they need a performance and I said to you I I actually just want them to to see them grind out a 1-0 just to prove they can Mm. and that is they were you know they didn't play well they were very lucky with the goal uh, the way it went in Um, but that is what they did and I thought Corbrand got it even if the execution was bad I thought he did exactly the right thing after that result to say to the players just concentrate on not making any mistakes Um, and it was frustrating to watch at times because (laughs) it seemed like they would get into the final third and think oh safety first at times it's like no that is the time where you're allowed to take a few risks lads but in principle, I thought it was the right approach. Yeah, I, I think it was definitely the right approach. Um, I I spoke on the pre-season pod that I think three-five-two really suits this squad. And I know Corbin spoke last night and said his hand had been forced, but I, I'm not so sure it has been forced. I think he was probably always going to look at a three-five-two. And they lost Pearson in the warm-up, so Lees has to come in. And I think it suited Lees, who couldn't play 90 minutes, to play in a three, because obviously it gives him a little bit more safety than playing in a two. I think Nabi Zah looks better in a three, if I'm yeah, if I'm honest, totally because totally his game is all about committing, whether it's to the header, to the tackle, to the challenge, etc. And he can do that a lot more with the safety of having another two central defenders there. And I thought Colwell, he, he can play in a two or a three, or he can play left back, as we saw, you know, on Saturday. He He's he will such a just adapt. Player to have, yeah. Yeah, he'll just adapt, you know, wherever you want to play him. So. I think the three at the back, particularly particularly if you're going to play, you know, a Lees, a Saar and a Pearson in various combinations, they're not blessed with massive pace. That's the thing. So particularly if you play as a two, you can get caught out there. So I think a three suits it. I would have gone with a three last night for definite. And I think, listen, no one's going to watch that game back. No one is going to be... That's that's not 90 minutes that's going on a DVD in the club shop. But I was a bit like you. I think it was just important to try and get over the line one way or another. I think the if they'd have got a clean sheet after chipping five and it had been a nil-nil, we would both have to sit here and concede that while it was disappointing they didn't win, it was important that they got the clean sheet. The fact they then go and get the win, admittedly without having a shot on target, you know, that's a massive bonus and it, it does give them something to... It does give them something to build on, but it should be said we've hammered them <laughs> we've hammered them for the Fulham game and I think quite rightly. But yesterday there were some 
far more encouraging performances. Lee Nichols, I thought, was really solid in goal and will only get better when he's got a relationship with the likes of Sorba Thomas and understands his runs and when he wants it early. As I said, I thought Naby Zahar had his best game. I, I was trying to think of when I've seen him play better in a town shirt and I'm not sure I have. I yeah. thought Tom Lees was really, really good coming in for 75 minutes and looking very comfortable, very experienced. I thought the midfield was still an issue, but you know Scott High looked very, very good. Um, and for a good the first half an hour of that game, I thought he was the best player on the pitch. And I thought another, you know, sort of series of exciting cameos from Sorba Thomas when he when he puts a proper ninety minutes together, it's going to be something to see. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I agree on Sar. I actually gave him a seven and then realised that was way too harsh and bumped it up to an eight. Uh, mm. So those of you who got the print edition will will have the seven, but I did uh, I did change that because I realised that was way too harsh. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> I think I think it was most of the players had a five out of ten performance. Um, I think it's fair to say. Um, but as you say, I think that that one moment, that pass from Karoma, just that that led to the goal, bumped him up for me. And then after that, I mean, I think that that what happened after the goal shows you exactly why that is the approach to take. Because as soon as that goal went in, the only team that looked like scoring was Huddersfield Town. Mm. You know, they, they they should have had two more really. I mean, Thomas hit the post; that was a bit unlucky. Karoma got in. Uh, on goal and and had the option either to square it or shoot and pulled it wide of the far post and I think the game it sort of reminded me of most was the game away to Stoke City under the Cowleys the first win of the season in 2019 where they it was two really poor teams playing an absolute dire game of football bereft of confidence yeah that was then just settled by uh, a goal sort of out of nowhere late on Um, and we saw what happened after after town had that win against Stoke you know that uh, that was you know the start of that was the beginning under the Cowleys really you know that they had that that was the second game of that run of seven unbeaten they picked up I think it was 28 points in 19 games or 27 in 19 something like that Um, and they had a similar thing last year you know we were quite critical of them in fact almost almost exactly the same last season to be honest because we were quite critical of them after the sort of the Norwich game for, for not having much on the ball although was they the, were unlucky it, to lose it was that the and Brentford, Brentford game. game the Brentford game I, we were really worried I even remember um, texting Dave Frelfall Sykes to say we've hammered them in this podcast but it's we're doing it so that we've got almost like the lowest bar so we can then pick the positives out as things improve and they did improve to yeah, a degree. The next game they the next game they went and beat Forest one nil in another. Mm. <laughs> the goal was excellent, but and to be fair, their XG was was really good in that game. But I think to watch it wasn't an exciting game. But then and then they drew against Rotherham, but and we were mm. like mm, still not sure. But then they got two wins on the bounce, including that win against uh, Swansea, and but that it, was it's... sort of again that that just getting that win against Forest last year, I think, was such a huge monkey off their back, and you just hope that that's what this result can be this Preston result mm. can be because it almost doesn't matter now that that it almost doesn't matter now how those first three games have gone because they can even if we don't believe it even if we think there are obviously deeper issues here things aren't good this is really concerning it almost doesn't matter as long as the players can believe okay this was a difficult period we had players missing we didn't play well but we've got four points which is 
probably, to be honest, what they were targeting. That was probably their sort of minimum threshold. They would have liked six, but but they'd take four kind of thing. It's done now. It's out of the way. That's, you know, hopefully their worst spell over. Let's go and play confidently at Sheffield United. Because it's they now know that they can play badly and win. And you can, you know, we can talk about how awful Preston were because they absolutely were. They've had an awful start to the season. They, they looked as bereft of confidence as town and um, other than the one that Sarah had the line had off the line they they almost offered nothing in attack themselves but it, it doesn't matter psychologically it's a huge boost to them yeah I again something if people saw the the, the extra time show last night they'll have heard me t- talking to Ben Thornley about it the momentum is a huge thing in football and Huddersfield Town under Carlos Corbran have never had it and people memory is a funny thing um people will look back and say well we were really good first half of the season but basically town beat forest then they had that game against rotherham where it was the last minute own goal from pippa's shot mm-hmm. then they beat uh swansea away which was was good but against the run of play i'd suggest and then they beat derby at home with that was the fraser cam was that the fraser campbell volley that was the, no that was the forest one the derby was bakuna yes yeah bakuna's goal but then in this really good first half of the season they lost to Preston lost to Birmingham beat Millwall away completely out the blue but then immediately lost to Bristol City and drew with Luton and then lost that game at Stoke and then drew with Wickham then they beat Middlesbrough and you think okay get something going they go to Cardiff and got I mean that 3-0 could have been 5-0 yeah, that, that was one of their worst performances last year at Cardiff so then they put together two home games the 2-0 against QPR and the 2-0 against Sheffield Wednesday and you go right okay you've 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 got this now carry it on next game 5-0 against Bournemouth then they draw against Coventry then they beat Watford and you go okay right you've beaten one of the contenders here you've got you know there's a not a bad run of games coming up they follow it up with a 2-1 defeat at Barnsley they then win 2-1 against Blackburn and then you're into the 2nd of January and the defeat against Reading and that's when the second half of the season, you know, they, they had one win in the 4-1 in February, the, the QPR game in March and then the, the Forest game in April. So they've never ever got some momentum up and one of the things they have to sort of arrest this season, they have to do, is they have to win a couple of games, draw a couple of games and win a couple of games. Mm. Not get caught in this this cycle of win, draw, lose three, get a win out the blue in a game you're not expecting, then get beaten in a game you're not expecting. They've they've got to start finding some momentum, finding some consistency, and they've got they got a run of games now that's not it's not I wouldn't say it's brilliant, but Sheffield United aren't pulling up any trees. They, they and can't I, score. They, they've they just can't, got no goals in them. Yeah, they can't score goals. And I would go into that game and just be try and be a bit brave. <laughs> try and accept that you know a win, it's almost like a free hit and see what you can get out of that. The EFL Cup game against Everton, no one really cares no, about. It, as long honest. as they don't, as long as they don't lose five nil, I think. Yeah, but then they've no got cares. Reading, who I think are no great shakes. Stoke, who I don't think are, are brilliant, Blackpool away, Forest who are struggling, and then they've got Swansea, Blackburn, Luton, which 
is a slightly tougher run. But if they can just get some level of momentum, get the ball rolling a little bit over those those games, it would be good to see a sort of Carlos Corbran side in the groove, you know, mm. sort of super confident and moving the ball about well, which I, I don't think we've ever really seen. As I said, I think memory is a funny thing when people talk about the first half of the season being really, really good. It, it was good in patches and in patches of games, but it wasn't it wasn't great. So I think they have to they have to set Fulham as the low bar. They have to take the win against Preston as the start or something, and they've now got to push on from there because there needs to be targets, doesn't there? There needs to yeah. be things to aim at. I think that the the re- last season, sort of the first half of the season, the reason that they were sort of doing all right in the table and weren't a million miles off the playoffs at, at sort of around Christmas time was because they actually didn't draw many games. They either won mm. or lost. Um, and extremes again, you see. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I almost feel like at this point, particularly if because it's it's clear that some players are short on fitness and completely understandably this when we're saying that this isn't a criticism as it was two years ago after the preseason under Jan Sievert where the players just weren't fit you know this is it's been disrupted the players have had COVID there's players who have mm. missed period, chunks of preseason either with injuries or because they've had to isolate it's understandable um, you know Lewis O'Brien didn't look wasn't available able to play 90 minutes and didn't look quite at his best Josh Caroma looks a bit short because he and that's why he wasn't you know part of the reason he wasn't picked from the start against Derby he's just a little bit off I don't think anyone's sort of like completely hanging out of themselves but I think everyone I think there's there's half a dozen players who are just a bit off there and probably you'd expect uh, the same from from Toffolo and Ruffles or at least it'd be forgivable if, uh, if if they were to you know take a bit of time to get up to full speed um, can I just say something there Steve because just a personal experience there's a lot of people who are thinking the players who have had COVID are going to do their 10 days and come back you know absolutely fine I've had COVID twice the first time I had it I didn't actually know about it I ended up getting a um, bout of long COVID from it (laughs) from about COVID I didn't know about this summer I got COVID again and this time it was symptomatic and it was absolutely brutal it was um, you know a a couple of weeks in bed which has left me with bad sciatica it was then about three or four weeks of just not feeling myself Um, my daughter got it so we were isolated the three of us were isolated pretty much over summer I'm still struggling now with I have days where I'm just extremely tired for no real reason I have times where I'm extremely tired for an hour (laughs) and then I feel fine I am incredibly forgetful as you know Steve Mm -hmm. I I go to the shop because Penny has sent me there and I have no idea what I'm there for and I have to ring her so I think you need to understand that particularly when people have had symptomatic covid you don't just come back it's not 10 days and then it's not 10 days and suddenly you're feeling all right so i think we've seen it a little bit with like a player like paul pogba at man united last year who had symptomatic covid and it was quite clear for about two months he was he was not he was not fit and there was not a sort of massive understanding of it and he was you know starting games and just being told to crack on i think what i'm saying is i think you may just have to give a few of these players that have had covid a little bit of leeway because yeah. take it from me it's it's difficult to just shake off and you might feel fine for a week 
and then out of the blue you have two days where you just feel crappy it's it's a it's an odd thing so I know everyone's excited to them for them coming back and Carlos said last night how much stronger they're going to be when everyone's back but I, I do I do think it will take a little bit of time for everyone to get back up to speed yeah and that's kind of my point is I think they rather than looking for that that well you know I think probably the principle is if you try and win every game and you lose every other game you've got three points whereas if you try and spend every game trying not to get beat and you end up drawing them both you've only got two but I think they they might need to while they're waiting for those players to get fully up to speed for those completely understandable reasons they might need to just Lee Clark it a little bit <laughs> do you know what I mean just just make it difficult it's for, the- for them to get beaten particularly against you know Sheffield United you, you don't go into that game expecting that they're going to score two or three no. play for a nil nil and if you get that that rub of the green as they did against Preston you, you've got a win out of it and if you don't then and you execute it well you've got a point away to Bramble you know at Bramble Lane which mm. for all you, the Blades are struggling a little bit at the start of this season I think most clubs in this division would take a point at Bramble Lane yeah I think that's exactly right and it's it's the extreme thing I'm not going to repeat myself but anybody who's listened to this podcast knows one of the things I've sort of been calling for is Corbyn and to cut the the extremes we've come into this season <laughs> and town get hammered 5-1 at home and then three days later go completely sort of solid and grind out a 1-0 win where they don't have a shot on target again complete sort of extremes one to the other so what I'd I'd like to see from now is like you say just just go to Sheffield United and if if you play for the 0-0 no one's <laughs> no one's gonna sort of it's not a betrayal is it in any no. way it's it's it is what it is. People would complain about that. Don't get me wrong. They would complain about the boring football. But I think sometimes you have to just ignore the people who accuse mm. you of being boring and just play for play a style that suits your players. Try and limit the damage and just build the confidence back up. I mean, it's. I always think with with after town have a bad result like this and Carlos is under pressure and probably no one is putting him under more more pressure than me. But um, that um, I always try and think. Well, what would what would you expect? What would you hope a new manager would do? If Carlos had gone after the Fulham game, what would you expect a new manager to do? And I think you would expect them to do what, what Corbrand did against Preston, which is that just keep it tight, try and limit the mistakes. And I think I don't think I think they need to do that for a little while because they did it against um they did it last season belatedly, but against Birmingham, Cardiff, QPR, Sheffield Wednesday and Brentford, and that was <laughs> their longest unbeaten run of the season. Four of them were draws, but you know, the only win was the QPR game. But th- those points ultimately kept them in the division. I think what knackered them last year was obviously that game that run of games ended with them getting tonked seven nil at Norwich and then suddenly mm-hmm. all the confidence they'd build up from built up from that run of games is completely out the window again. Um, um, and and you're starting again from nothing. So I think, yeah, that they, they can they have an opportunity now to do what they've done the last two seasons and take that very scavy one nil win and go. Do you know what? Doesn't matter how we got it. We've got it, and we can we can play with a bit of confidence now. That that yes, we are we're not we're not doomed by the gods. The fates aren't against us. We can actually win these games. Yeah, it, it's just about trying to. Trying to have a little bit more. I don't want to use the word pragmatism because it, it it's almost sort of become used as a bit of an insult around Carlos Corbran, and that's not what I mean. I don't think it's nece- I also don't think it's necessarily Carlos Corbran's fault that when he came in, other people promised you know incredible, mm. exciting attacking football. But uh, 
they're, they're, it's horses for courses, and I'd like to see this team adapt over the next few games. The other thing is, Steve, you live in the real world. You can't play the same system for every game. You target certain games. Town yeah. will be looking at that Reading home game. They'll be looking at that Blackpool away game. They'll be looking at Hull at home. I know they've started well, but they'll be looking at that game. They'll be looking at Birmingham at home, be looking at Millwall at home. They'll be targeting certain games to, to be a bit more expansive and to get on the front foot and see what they can do. Sheffield United away is probably not one of those games, but when mm. you've had a win like that, you, you may as well be a little bit braver than you would have been if you were coming in off the back of a, a 5-1 defeat and then possibly a 0-0 yeah. draw. You know? It's 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 a gradual thawing out, I think they need to mm. go for, rather than being like, oh right, well we've got the 1-0 here, we've got the three points, let's go and play, <laughs> you know, try and be mm. Brazil 1970 um, at, at Bramall Lane. I think you need to step it up, you need to introduce things a bit at a time, because that is... You know, one of the criticisms you and I both had after Saturday was they're overcomplicating everything. The players don't look like they know what they're doing. So you take the press and you say, right, that's the we're not doing anything on the ball, but we're keeping it tight at the back performance. Now let's see if we can do a bit on the ball, even if it's just for half an hour. I still want you to keep things tight at the back, but let's try and have a good 15 minute spell in each half and I'll be happy with that. And then the next game you go for 30 minutes in each half. And then it's getting it's just not expecting everything to come at once. And I feel like mm. I feel like there's been we're in we've been the last sort of over the last year or so have been stuck in a cycle of okay we've got the result now now we can play the way we want to play and it just it it doesn't work that way no it doesn't and if we we have said repeatedly that where we want town to be is sort of lower mid table we think that's that's where they should be mm-hmm. really but last season you know they won 25% of their games they drew 25% of their games and they lost you know just a shade under half they've got to adjust those balances a bit they've got to they've got to get things a bit closer and yeah four, four, four points from every three games which is what they've yeah. got despite it's everything survival. it's what they've got it's yeah that's form. that's it, that, in fact it's it's pretty comfortable mid-table form you know that gets yeah. you to to 60 odd points 60 ish points around that area that's sort of 13th 14th that would be a really good season for town yeah so d- this is the thing that the, the the sort of markers for progress this season i mean we touched on it a little bit in the pre-season pod steve the markers for progress this season are actually quite low you know nobody mm-hmm. is expecting a playoff run or a no, top five top. finish or anything like that it's it's more about you know, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but again, it's more about being a lot steadier, getting some momentum up a couple of times a season, being a bit more consistent, and having a few games where everybody has a bit more fun. And at the moment, we haven't seen that, but you know, let's not write it off as a possibility <laughs> three games in. Yeah. Transfer window still open, Dave. Um, we've still got a couple more weeks of that. Lewis O'Brien is is rumbling on still. Um, there were reports before the Preston game that, um, that that the Leeds deal might be moving along, but when we got to the game, we were told now there's there's been no change. It could be one that that drags on at this point, but it'd be better for everyone if it just got sorted ASAP, wouldn't it? Yeah, I I just. I mean, we we said it all summer, Steve. They, they there's obviously going to be interest in Lewis O'Brien. Obviously, no Huddersfield Town fan wants that interest to come from Leeds United. We completely understand that and we get that. But if Leeds United are the ones who are willing to pay what Huddersfield Town are asking for him, then just get it done <laughs> so that you can replace. Because I think we've both said on a podcast and in print, Steve, that you don't replace Lewis O'Brien. You get two players to try and replicate some of his stats and some of 
of his performances in the squad. And that gets more and more difficult to do as players you have been looking at have already moved on because people have moved earlier. And, you know, when you get to deadline day, the sort of value of (laughs) the window of getting any value shrinks and shrinks by the hour. Mm. And I just have this sort of really deep worry (laughs) that we get to national gym white day and it's still rumbling on you know and that's that's not going to be a great situation to be in i think even if lewis o'brien stays it worries me if town don't get another central midfielder in because i i I really think they need they've got lots of running but they've not got they've not replaced carol lighting who didn't really replace aaron moy because of injuries so they still need that profile of player in the squad and there's plenty out there um you know you look at a a james garner for instance but they need uh, yeah it just needs to be sorted one way or another yeah i mean i think there's some hope that that danel sonani could turn out to be that but he's so unproven in england i think i think they can't put all their eggs in his luxembourgish basket (laughs) he's also spent the sort of like the bigger part of his career playing from wide Mm. so there is also a an element of longer term conversion there so unless he is brilliant from the off yeah not sure yeah totally agree with you dave i mean they replacing o'brien on his own i think is going to be very very difficult um but yeah i think whatever they do they need to get in another as Mm. well and it's I, worth saying that I, we we think there is something potentially in the the Matty Longstaff rumours, but again, it's that thing of Towner in the queue rather than in the box seat to potentially get him on loan. And I think I think Longstaff would actually be a pretty good O'Brien replacement in the short term because he's a similar type of player. He's a you know he's a runner and a presser, and he's ginger. <laughs> gingerist um but he's not he's not that carolighting profile and i really do think this squad needs a carolighting profile of player yeah and we should probably talk about i'm sure lots of fans will be saying they need a striker and to be honest at the moment it's hard to disagree with that um danny ward had an absolute mare against I, I thought he was just isolated and and I know that um, not the top 20 excellent podcast a lot of time for those guys but um you know they tweeted about Danny Ward had one pass against Fulham and that was kicking off um but I think he was just isolated you know I think he he had that run through on goal where he, he hit the side net in I think he snatched it a bit I think probably he could have done with taking another touch to get closer to goal but I think that's a player who's low on confidence but I couldn't defend him against um against Preston you know every time the ball came into him it sort of it seemed to bounce off him and um you know they needed that link up because you had Scott High and and Lewis O'Brien were playing so wide they were almost basically another they basically had two wing backs town um you know they had uh, as in two on each side I'm seeing double here eight wing backs um but uh you know they had Scott High and Ollie Turton on one side they had Lewis O'Brien and and Silver Thomas on the other Josh Grome was drifting wide to the left as well and they had sort of nobody through the middle so they needed Danny Ward uh, out of all of them to do that sort of dropping deep into the number 10 doing the link up role and every time they played it into him he just couldn't didn't seem able to control it Carlos Corbrand did say um after the game that that he was the reason he was taken off at the break was because he was feeling dizzy um so we've given him a, a bit of the benefit of the doubt in in the conclusions because of that but i think even just even if you just 
say, well, he wasn't well. That's why he didn't play well against Preston. <laughs> Town's options at centre forward just don't look great. I mean, Jordan Rhodes has not been preferred, um, th- despite th- being brought in. I think he must be in the Carlos doesn't think he can do ninety minutes category. Or yeah. else I'm sure he'd have. I'm sure he'd have featured more. Yeah, Walt Ward has not got going while he's been at Town, and you know, you and I are both fans of Fraser Campbell, but I think we know he he offers you a certain thing. He offers you a lot of um, pressing from the front, mm. and he is actually weirdly he's he is actually quite good at that link up thing and i i would like to see him there again in the lineup if if they do go for that sort of very wide 352 um i think he's a better better partner for for Karoma than either of the other two but i think i mean money is going to be very tight but you would think that ideally they would like to bring in another center forward i honestly don't know i mean We've been told at various times that it's not it's not a priority position, but as I said, there's nothing sharpens the focus like games of football. And uh, as you've just said, we we all know exactly what Fraser Campbell offers, which is definitely something, but it's not necessarily 15 to 20 goals a season. Mm. Rhodes looks to be taking a bit of time to adapt. And I mean, to be fair, Corbyn has talked before about how players need to sort of adapt to a system and it takes time mm. and it usually That's takes true. about, a, you know, a month or so. Yeah, look at Vallejo last year. It took him, I know, yeah. I know that was partly down to fitness, but he also said that it was him getting used to the speed of English football, which I can't find a polite way to say it, but I almost feel like Jordan Rhodes needs <laughs> needs that himself. Um, well, having having not already, really got going at Wednesday, he's already had a couple of sliding doors moments at Town. Jordan Rhodes, because if he gets one of those headers late on against Sheffield Wednesday, I, I think things are already a little bit different. I think if he gets that header at the end of the Fulham game that flashed just wide, I know they lost five two, but I think it just changes strikers are selfish by nature I was a striker all my playing life Steve as you know defenders has come and must be punished but you know if John Rhodes comes on and scores that header even though Town lose 5-2 he is absolutely delighted with himself because I just know that's how strikers work it's that classic thing of every single one of them wants needs a goal but I think Danny Ward is a, a bit of a worry because that 45 minutes yesterday was you look at that and you think well is there something underlying there because he was you know so bad and coming off at half time because he's dizzy you hope he's not trying to play through something or he's not suffering with something because like you say he he just he was genuinely struggling just to sort of control a ball or just lay it off simply last night um and at half time we were sort of both saying you know he can't come out for the second half like that um so we'll we'll see i just i'm just not sure it's a I'm not sure it's a priority position. I think it's a sort of a would like to have, but the midfield they need that midfielder is, more, don't they? The yeah. midfield is the issue. But I even look at Sinani, and I think you know potentially from what I've been re- reading about him, there is a worst case scenario where you could play him central, and then also you got Josh Caroma, who we yeah. know is better left of a three. That 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 is a viable but is he option. Worth, if... You know, is he worth yeah. playing through the centre for five games and see how he goes on? Well, particularly if Thomas prefers playing on that left side, as as we yeah. believe. He does, and you know you're going to have Rolando Aarons was called up to the bench for the for the Preston game. Um, so oh, they announced it as Ben Jackson originally, and then <laughs> they yeah. told us, "Oh no, it's Rolando." Um, so he's presumably not too far off. We know he's played B team games as well, so they do weirdly have a lot of options 
<laughs> on the wing when everyone's fit. Um, but I, so, I yeah, think what they, in the middle is an option. I don't know if you agree with this, but I think if if they get, I don't know, maybe to maybe to the Stoke game and the strikers still aren't scoring, I think they've then got to go right. We're either going to start Jordan Rhodes or we're going to play Josh Carome there, or even you know completely out of the blue, we're going to play Sonani there. But they've got to play him there for four or five games. You mm-hmm. can't just go right. You got ninety minutes to you know in adversity commas prove yourself. They've got to have a proper run mm-hmm. in that position and see what they can do yeah fantastic i mean we'll see how how the next couple of weeks go it's going to be really interesting transfer window to see who goes out how much they go for what they can bring in whether they can improve the team dave have you got anything to plug uh silver linings my book on bobby robson available now and apologies to anyone who's listening to this podcast and listening to my dog snoring because it is appalling you say that as if like the a dog snoring is not the most adorable thing you could possibly record to to audio. That, that that is not the most adorable thing that that dog there because while you may be able to hear the snores the thing you can't get on a podcast is smell <laughs> just as well just as well we'll see you next time huddersfield town fans have a good one goodbye <laughs>